The following seminar is part of Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church's weekly adult equipping school. Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church exists to glorify God by helping people journey from brokenness to wholeness by experiencing the gospel in all its fullness. More information about our church can be found at www.cornerstonebible.org. Okay, well, we have assembled as, I guess, the, the popular movie series, uh, The Avengers. We've assembled the spiritual Avengers together this morning, and hopefully more will be coming in to uh, hear some of the questions. But what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take the class that was taught and ask the speaker or the teacher who taught that class to answer that specifically, <coughs> and anyone else on the panel can answer, but also you can answer too or if you have any input or questions. Is that okay? Does that sound all right? Okay. So the first one... The centrality of the gospel in parenting. Again, these are questions that you submitted to us. We've compiled them together, and we've put them, and I've sent them out to the elders and the pastors to take a look at them and to answer them for you. And the first question, I I think, for Pastor Milner, if you don't mind uh, answering the first one, why is dating, love, intimacy, affection important for couples and for children to see or to be a model? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, and I think we we're sort of making this point. I'll be making this point. Actually, if you want an answer to this question, come to the service this morning. <laughs> so, um, marriage is all about the gospel. It was patterned after the gospel. We know from Ephesians 5 that Paul was staring at the gospel. God was staring at the gospel when he created the institution of marriage. So if marriage was patterned after the gospel and it bears the imprint of the gospel and it's all about the gospel, and if our parenting is all about instilling the gospel in our children, then we will want to put the gospel on display. And the number one means through which we do that is through our marriage. Um, We would want our children, just imagine your children growing up in your home and going forth from your home and saying, I know that the gospel is true. I know the truth and the power and the glory of the gospel because I saw it. I didn't just hear it from the lips of my parents, but I saw it on display in my parents' marriage. That's, um, that's like the greatest good that I think we can accomplish. Um, so we, wa- we want to teach our children the gospel, but we, as husbands and wives, we get to put the gospel on display uh, by prioritizing our relationship, by forgiving one another, by growing in love for one another and letting our children see our imperfect marriages blossom over the years because of the grace and and the power of the gospel. Is that fair? Matt, is that okay? Okay. Great answer. If he's good with it, we can move on. Does anybody on the panel want to add to that or... Well, I have a mic in my hand, so I guess okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll step up. Um, two trains of thought, um, not not to, uh, you know, Milton's answer is just a phenomenal answer. Um, 
two trains of thought because, as I mentioned, uh, many of you knew if you came to uh, had the opportunity to come to my class. I grew up. My dad passed away when I was nine, and so my mom raised me um, as a single mom from nine on. And um, I think to be able to uh, have that modeled for me, um, to to look forward to, uh, you know, and I can. It's kind of natural, I guess, for sons to have uh, an affectionate relationship with their mom. But um, to kind of prepare me for adulthood, um, so that's that's one train of thought um, for for you know there are single moms in our body uh, um, to have the affection maybe you know not the the dating but the love and affection is very important you know for for our, our kids as they're growing up. Um, I think the other train of thought is um, as our kids are you know husband and wife are, are in the home. Um, to have that expressed before them is really important uh, for them to to be able to observe that and just kind of piggybacking on what Milton said, you know, that the gospel is winning the day. Um, you know, the really reality of the situation is, is sometimes our kids um, see our disagreements or they see sin, um, that we don't relate to each other in righteousness 100% of the time, but sometimes they don't get to see the reconciliation, which is also a part of the gospel. Um, and, and that may be appropriate. It may be appropriate for us as parents to, to reconcile outside of the presence of our kids, but then that they see the love and the affection and the, in the intimacy, um, they will know that mom and dad have reconciled and also, you know, expressing that to them, I think in certain, some ways, um, is important. And I probably for, for all of us up here, one of the, one of my favorite memories of when our, especially when our kids were younger, was um, whenever Kim and I would hug or embrace in, in the presence of our children, they always ran and joined in the hug. And they didn't want to just be on the outside of the hug. They wanted to be on the inside of the hug. And, and at first it was like, you know, why are you trying to get in, in between mom and I? Uh, <laughs> but then I, I came to realize it was such a source of security for them. And they kind of know that they, they are a product of that love. And so they want to be inside that. So it's uh, important for their um, security as kids. You know, um, the, 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 the strength of relationship with the parents is very important for the security of the children. So. Yeah, just real simple. Um, why is dating, love, intimacy, affection important for couples? It's the only place that they're really going to see it is in a Christian marriage. And so uh, the fact that our kids get to see it um, is is huge because they're not going to see it in the world. They have an opportunity to see it within Christian marriage. So that's why it's really important and critical. Okay. Um, any other comments from you guys? Anything, anything you want to add or any questions to go along with that before we move on to the next question? Oh, okay, this is under the glass for the power of a good marriage and parenting. And that's Jonathan and Julie. And the question I want to ask or bring before Jonathan is question number two. Jonathan, yes, we understand that marriage and a two-parent home is God's perfect will and plan. But we know this is not always the case. Perhaps you can add an extra session for single parents. What can they do to implement these things alone? Or how can other, others come alongside to help and encourage them? Yeah, thanks, Carlos. Um, single parents 
in our church are our heroes, some of our heroes. I said that when I shared this session a month or so ago. Um, having said that, single parents in our midst um, are doing the right thing. They are here um, for fellowship, taking advantage of the grace that is apparent in our midst, as well as I would answer this question by saying do exactly what you're doing and more in terms of plugging yourself into ministries, plugging yourself into care group, um, plugging yourself into women's ministries, taking advantage of uh, every opportunity you have to be equipped um, for the journey as a single parent and getting as many people along on that journey as you can. Um, family, church members, loved ones, um, do not do it alone. Yeah, you're parenting alone, but that does not mean that you are alone. Um, by God's grace, you're part of an amazing family. And um, that's how I would address it quickly. And I'd value anybody else's input to this as well. Okay, anyone else on the panel want to add to what Jonathan just mentioned? Just think of uh, Eunice, Timothy's mom. She, she was married. She had a husband who was living, but she was spiritually single. From all indications, she was not, or he was not a believer. And yet she uh, raised a champion uh, for the faith whose name was Timothy and whose name shows up, other than the apostles, like his name shows up more than any other in the New Testament. And, and Eunice did not raise him alone, but she leaned on her own mother, Lois. And Paul is able to say to Timothy, the faith that was in Lois and in Eunice is now in you. Uh, so be encouraged. Uh, God loves to take broken situations and bring something absolutely beautiful uh, out of it if, if you're faithful to him. Great. Anyone else on the panel? Wanna... Yeah, in my, in my session it was um, the five to one. And so if you can get five adult relationships um, to your child, um, it really helps them to see faith in other people. And so I would encourage uh, single moms or single dads to invite families over um, and have a, you know, a specific family that you're targeting to reach out to and to have relationships with your kids. Uh, hopefully in care group uh, you can get that. But even outside of care group, to have them over, um, you know, just to be able to develop those types of relationships uh, with them in that way, where it's somebody else they can talk to, um, and somebody else that you trust uh, for them to gain that insight from. Okay, anyone else want to add any comments? And Ikumi, just hold that mic because we're going to come to you. Uh, uh, in our third class, the role of church and parenting, and it kind of goes along with what you just said there, but how can I encourage my kids to develop their own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And I know you, know you mentioned you know, five on one, but can you add anything else to that? I would say um, the most important thing you can do is pray for your kids, and I'm sure you do, um, but that's, uh, it's God that's going to be the one that does the work in their hearts. Um, you can't force the faith to be in them. It's God, the one that's going to draw them to himself. Uh, you can give them as many opportunities um, where truth is being dispensed. Uh, you want them in every opportunity 
possible to get to them to there, you know, to church, to Sunday school, to youth group, to Sunday, you know, um, um, other things, Awana, um, where they're going to get truth given to them. That's, I feel that's our job as a parent is to get them to where they're going to hear truth because they hear lies all the time through advertisement, through the world. They're going to hear lies all the time. And so whenever you have an opportunity, get them to truth. And, and um, you know, if you can go with them, even better. Uh, but make sure they're, they're hearing truth and let God use that truth in their life to develop them spiritually. Um, I think personally you need to also show a hunger for the Lord yourself. Um, you know, that you're spending time with the Lord, that they, they uh, know that that is a discipline in your own life. You're not just asking them to develop that discipline, but you have that in your own life. Uh, you have opportunities as a family um, when you eat dinner together, something to read the word to them and pray for them. But to let them hear that you're praying for their spiritual future. I think that's very impactful for, for your children to hear you praying and having a vision of what their future looks like and, and um, that you pray that I don't care what happens as long as they love you, they walk with you, I know you will take care of them. And so for, to have your kids hear you praying that over and over for them, for them to know, wow, you know, mom and dad really trusting God with my future, I, I probably should do that also. Great, thank you. Yeah, Carlos, just keep that mic. I, I got a question for you regarding the world at war with the family. You had taught this, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, what do you suggest when you find your homeschooled or school child, nine years old, looking at porn on the internet, what do you do when you find out that they have done it again when they are 12 years old? So that could be a, 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 your son or, or your daughter, right? What do you suggest? Well, I think uh, you definitely want to um, take inventory in the home to make sure there's no accessibility at all. And so um, to whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're going to in order to look at those inappropriate materials, uh, just eliminate that from the home uh, completely. Um, that would be one thing. And I think uh, definitely, you know, you're going to want to talk to them and counsel them and give to them the word and help them to realize just what the danger of it. You want to scare them uh, with the reality of what it is that they're allowing themselves to get into. But, I mean, personally, eight years old, like, that, that's not in the realm of my experience. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm willing to pass the buck, okay. you know, yeah. see if. Yeah, that's fine. Anybody else on the panel want to um, answer that? Because I think when Griffith Vertigan was here, I think he had mentioned something about what, nine years old, I think, is when children start or starting to look at porn maybe even earlier, I think, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken. So if anybody else on the panel wants to comment on that, um, very critical, critical issue. Um, one of the things that, that I've learned recently um, through Opal Singleton, and she wrote the book called Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers, and she talks a lot about um, videos, uh, gaming, and how that is a, a doorway to Internet pornography. Um, there's a big underground world in Internet gaming, and she mentions some other, she mentions some specific games that I can't remember. A lot of apps that the kids have on their phone and their, whatever their avatar is, and, and she talks a lot about asking your kids about their avatar, what... Um, and who their game manager is, because a lot of times that game manager can, um, they can trade, I don't know, I don't know anything about gaming, just from reading this book, but something about trading money uh, for points and for skills, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and you can say it a lot better than I can, but, um, and then there's this whole exchange that can begin with um, nude photography, 
sending nude photos, and then there's an entrapment that takes place where these kids get involved in, in trafficking and, and that sort of thing. So um, you can read more about it if you want to get that book seduced. It's, it's very informative but um, and something that I was completely unaware of because our kids never did gaming. So. Thanks, Carlos, Julie. and to, I just would add, you know, and, and maybe it, need, it goes without saying, but um, the scriptures have a lot to say uh, about, you know, how we handle our bodies, about this subject. And so as parents, you know, maybe that is an indication that if we have not already started with that child to teach what the scriptures say, that it's time to, to, to get into the scriptures mm-hmm. and, and give to our kids God's perspective on this subject. And um, so. Okay. Oh, and again, hold on to that microphone. Okay. As far as parenting in different stages of life, what do you think was your toughest, is the toughest stage when it comes to parenting? Um, probably two, two come to mind. Um, the, the two-year-old, like the two- to four-year-old stage, um, when, uh, you know, the kids begin to be defiant um, and, and their sin nature com- begins to come out more, um, that was tough because especially, uh, you know, you're going through it for the first time as a parent. And um, your, your kids, in our case, they, they can go from being so sweet to not being so sweet. And uh, it, 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 it takes some getting used to. So I think that two- to four-year-old phase with each one. And then, uh, and then the teen years, um, just as, uh, you know, just as I mentioned in, in my session, you know, they, they reach that age where they're beginning to listen to voices outside of the family, outside of the church, um, and they, they listen to those voices differently. Um, it, it carries more of a weight. Um, they begin to listen to their own voice and, and their own will uh, in, in different ways as teens. And um, uh, you, you can get into the, what I would call the cat and mouse game because um, kids are really smart. And um, they, uh, they, they can figure out how to kind of work the system at home to, so that things go well. Um, but, but you know, so they, they can get away with as much as they can without crossing the line into losses of privileges, different things like that. Um, it's also challenging because, I, you know, our kids were, were pretty good negotiators. And so even when it came to discipline, um, you know, it was, you know, well, you know, can we do this instead? Or, you know, and so you, you get this constant interchange. Um, teen, it can also be uh, tough because... Uh, there becomes a fight for authority and, and for power in their lives. And, and so, uh, as many of you know, uh, some teens just like to argue just for the sake of argument, um, just because they want to be authorities in their own lives. And, uh, and so they, they can be very careful, uh, very comfortable with that, um, just, just fighting with you just for the sake of fighting, just competing with you just for the sake of competing. So. Um, I guess I guess the teen years would be my answer, Carlos. <laughs> After so saying all of that, I'll, I'll take two to four over teens. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyone else? Anyone else want to? Okay. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about that because I think two to four is the harder time, especially for moms because we're home all day, and um, well, some of some are and some aren't, but. Um, I think that was my wearisome time where I just I just grew weary. It was really hard to be consistent in parenting and um, but on the other hand it was like I knew I had to do this. It was like 
this is my calling. You know, it just, like, I just don't want to do this again. I'm in the bathroom for the 50th time today. But it was, I kind of learned sometimes that not to make such a, I don't know, I just to enjoy that time um, and to realize that that time passes, so you don't want to miss it. You Taking that time with your child personally and um, how important, one of the things was how important it was for me to have rest. I just had to sleep. It made a big difference as a mom in dealing with that on a daily basis. And so that would help me to have more patience to sit down, you know, to either go to the bathroom, um, especially at two, because, you know, it's, it's just, that's just a hard time. But as they got older, like four and five, they knew daddy. It was like, okay, you know what? Daddy's going to come home. We had this understanding that I didn't always have to do the, the discipline that daddy was going to be coming home. Because otherwise, it was always, oh, daddy's home. It's like this, and I was like, wait a minute. Why am I always the bad guy here? So um, we worked that out, and, and our kids knew there was just certain things. It was like, this is a dad thing. And, um, and they knew. I'd just say, you know what? When daddy gets home, daddy will deal with that. I was like, oh, man. But, but they would remember. They would remember. I'd, I would forget half the time, you know, because just life goes on. But they would remember. It was like, is daddy coming home? I'm like, yep, he should be. Oh, yeah, daddy's coming. <laughs> but, but that was a team thing, too, because he was really good about it. And he could come in fresh. And he, he spent a lot of time. He started taking over a lot of the discipline as they got older, in a sense, because he, that was just one of the things we felt needed in our family with our children. And that was a blessing because it took it off me all the time. And he had, a, they, I don't know, just don't, I know it gets weary, um, but just look at it and just pray yourself through it and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. Um, and this is my delightful calling is to be here for my children because this will pass very quickly. And stage-wise, I'm thinking kind of in a sense adulthood has been a little bit more time-consuming than even little kids um, because I used to be able to get out of the house with two kids, be on time, and all of that. I find it harder with my children now that they're adults because – you know what, our schedules don't mix, so all of a sudden they're home and I'm ready to go out the door in a window of opportunity, right, Thomas, opens up and he starts sharing and I'm thinking, okay, so I put my purse down and I put my shopping list down and I just kind of go and make myself comfortable because that's my window and it's totally different. I, it's, I don't get to places on time because I've put them, it's like that window's open, I don't want to miss that. So I kind of think adulthood, and even Lindley, Lindley has called many times at certain times where I've just had to put off what I was doing because I needed to speak with her. And so, I, so I, for me, it was adult, uh, adulthood is a little more time-consuming than even the two and three. I don't even remember that anymore. But <laughs> anyways, if that helps. All right, just kind of switching gears a little bit, um, still dealing with parenting, but how do I parent through the gray areas? And I'm just kind of open it up to the panel, the gray areas of life, and specifically cultural things that do not have a moral, right or wrong, biblically, um, that we can find in the Bible. The Bible says don't do this, specifically like vaping, possible legalization of marijuana, tattoos, piercing, dressing in fads, et cetera. 
that we're going to be facing that in our culture. So how do we parent through those through those issues? Does anybody want to? Yeah, just let in? me start. Okay. Um, at the middle school age, um, or yeah, the middle school age was um, probably the most demanding parenting season for us, for me. But to talk to your kids, have conversations when they bring these things up about, number one, that um, as I think Alvin might have mentioned, that um, your body's not your own, number one. Number two, your body's bought with a price. Your body belongs to Christ first. And then ultimately, your body belongs to your future spouse. Um, And that all you do with your body uh, must glorify Christ. Never stray far from the scripture. Never stray far from the gospel. Especially, I'll go back to the point that um, your body's bought with a price. And then, of course, our sons, well, what if I get a scripture on my back? So you do have to deal with those nuances. And and I think, um, ultimately, I think one of my last-ditch responses, well, you know what, wait till you get married and ask your spouse about tattooing her, your body or your body that belongs to her. So so it's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. Um, but fundamentally, that all you do must glorify the Lord. And uh, you must not <clears throat> in, uh, engage in conduct that stumbles others uh, or will ultimately um, lead to greater sin in your own life. Yeah, that's great, Jones. Um, and I've used his advice um, for a lot of uh, young adults that are thinking about tattooing. Whoops. Um, but the main one that I like going to is, I just lost my page here, um, Philippians 4.8. Um, it's, it's a great one for your kids and for for us to be following through, uh, says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And so, like, for me, that's a go-to um, when it comes to cultural things for, for my kids, um, whatever any of those categories, vaping, tattooing, piercing, whatever, it's like, well, you know, what is what is God telling you in your heart right now according to what the scripture says? And um, a lot of this is also like good training ground too, like to make them, like I get challenges about movies and um, things that they like watching, listening to, and, um, and I would tell them like, one day really soon you're going to be in my shoes making decisions for your kids and what is going to be your go-to that you're going to be, you know, what, what's going to be your reference point? And it really needs to be the scriptures. Um, so I'm sure there are others besides this, but this is like one of my main go-tos, Philippians 4.8. Yeah, I remember uh, as, even as an adult, my, my, my eyes go to uh, number four here, piercing. And uh, I remember as an adult, um, um, back in the 80s, the, the one earring was really popular. You know, you, many of you know I was playing uh, professional baseball at the time, and that was really, really popular. And I remember having a conversation with Cooney about it. Um, 
So I, I guess to, to provide an answer, um, you know, seeking counsel and having these types of conversations as, as hard as they may be uh, with, with our young people is very, very important. Um, and, uh, you know, Kumi and I talked it through, and Kumi helped me reason through it. And, and at the end of that conversation, I, I came to the conclusion that um, the statement that that made um, was, was not consistent and not worth it. Um, the, the main reason I wanted a piercing was because it was popular. And that was as a young adult. I mean, we were in our mid-20s at that time, maybe even closer to 30. So, um, so you know, seeking counsel, having these conversations and, as parents and, and uh, as adults in other people's lives, you know, going back to, to the lesson that I taught on, um, you know, young people in care group, different things like that, young people in the church and our family that maybe don't have spiritual parents or advisors and, and being there for them and help them to work, work through scriptures. Uh, work through uh, I, uh, wisdom wisdom issues um, in answer to those questions, and I and I think a, a, a an important question for all of these is we've we've emphasized shepherding at the heart level is the question why why what 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 statement does this make um, what what are you trying to say what are you trying to fulfill um, and having those those types of conversations because. Um, we as as parents and disciples might find out there's a lot more going on beneath the surface than just the choice to participate in one of these things that's popular in our society. Great. Thanks, Self. Anybody? Yeah, just one more thing. I love what Kumi says all the time. He says um, their brains, uh, especially in boys, are not fully developed till they're at least 25. So don't make life-changing decisions. Okay, and just for the sake of the fact that we are recording this, Josh asked a question regarding the range, regarding styles and, and tastes of clothing, whatever, for your children. What, what is the range and how, the, how far do you allow them to go to make the decision, right, on what they choose to wear or whatever? Okay, does anybody on the panel want to answer that question? Uh, well, one thing is um, when my daughter got to be in junior high, I would take her shopping for clothes, and so, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed going with her and saying, you know, probably doesn't look really great on you. That's probably not the best thing. Not really modest, and uh, you know, all the kids. Are, yeah, I know, but but you know, you're. I want you to be you, and and you don't need to do that, and you don't want to attract boys like that. Those are the wrong boys. You're, you're in track that way, and to tell her those things, and even through high school, going shopping with her, those real special times that I had with her. Uh, so I didn't really have that issue of. Um, something I didn't, or at least I could voice it to her, you know, that, you know, I don't really, 
I don't know what obnoxious clothing is, I guess. <laughs> the wrong color or <laughs> just the style or but but I mean sometimes you gotta I mean if it's not unbiblical, not against your family. Because a lot of times you say, you know, we're the Kumamotos, and this is what the Kumamotos do because I'm head of the Kumamoto family. And so I'm going to put my foot down. But other things you might let go and and say, you know, that's your choice. I don't know if that's the best choice, but, you know, I'm not going to fight you over this one. And uh, so there would probably be issues like that where you can negotiate, but there should be some non-negotiables that, you know, you will be modest, you will... You know, there's some non-negotiables in how you dress. Yeah, if I could just add that um, it hasn't been that that easy in my house. Uh, it's it's been a battle, um, the whole modesty thing, um, and so. But um, when you get down to spending more time with your kids and asking those why questions, like why do you want to do this, and that's really good. What Kumi says is like these are not the guys that you want to attract. Um, so as, um, uh, as my daughter got older, now she's starting to understand, you know, what boys are like. I mean, she's taking some college classes, so she's understanding what boys are like, and now she's getting the whole thing, and now she's owning it in her own heart. So, um, stay consistent. Um, the, the battle will probably be really rough. Um, but, but stay consistent and stick to your guns and stick to what the scripture says, you know, about modesty, um, about heart issues, um, and um, it'll, it'll come through eventually. Real quick on that, do it when they're young, before it's an issue. Fifth grade, sixth grade, do it then. And so as they get older in their teen years, it's something we've always done. And so it's not just waiting until you're 16 and you want to wear that to, the, to wear you know, no, and so it's always been, you've always been there from 12 on helping them with those choices. Yeah, can't comment at all um, on the female thing, raised three sons. So um, the biggest issue uh, with our sons was the, the sagging pants. Well, we dealt with that abruptly and firmly. Um, number one, I set the standard um, in the way I dressed. Number two, we affirmed them and how good they looked when they were sharp. So we would buy them nice clothes, sharp clothes, sporty clothes, so they felt good, they looked good. They didn't have to sag their pants. Um, and so we didn't really have too much of an issue um, with the clothing thing, but just affirming them and how, and how good they look. And today my sons with varying, yeah, actually, you know, they know how to tie a tie properly and they look sharp when they dress up. They like to dress up. Um, but it's just setting that standard and praising them when they do look good. Okay. Anyone else? Any other questions? Yes, uh, Rachel. Yeah, good. Right. 
Right. Yeah, Rachel's commenting on the fact that close style sends an underlying message or maybe a cultural type of, of, of message. Any comments from the panel regarding that? Just to identify the message. Identify the message and go to the word. Absolutely, you know, be informed, do your research, um, look at the words, and just deal with it head on. Uh, just real quick, there's two mistakes we can make as parents on gray area issues. One is to just say, well, it's gray, Christians come to different points of view, so... I guess my children can decide whatever they want to decide, and then you don't end up talking about it with them. Um, the But you see in Romans uh, 14 and 15, like Paul actually talked to the Christians about gray areas where Christian people can come to differing viewpoints and decisions, and he gave them a way of thinking about that and how to arrive at a decision on this gray area for themselves, but also how to view other people in the church who may arrive at, at a different decision. Uh, the other extreme uh, that of a mistake that parents can make is to legislate above and beyond what's clearly taught in Scripture. And that's, a, that's, that's dangerous. Um, I grew up in a background where certain things were just legislated um, and they weren't taught in Scripture, like do not go into a movie theater don't ever drink alcoholic beverages and and they they taught those things as if that was authoritative and scriptural and so we just did it we abided by that because that's what our pastor said and we judged everyone who made a different decision and unwittingly that kind of culture raises uh, very judgmental pharisees who know how to conform on the outside and judge everybody uh, based on these external uh, judgments. So with our children, you know, there's been some latitude. There have been, there've been ways that I've rejoiced to see that our children have made the decisions that we've instilled in them in some of these gray areas. But in other areas, they've made different decisions, um, and it's not the end of the world. Um, uh, but what we do want, but we've had uh, hundreds of conversations over the years about these things, trying to give them a, a way of thinking and processing. And I, one of our children on one gray area had made a decision different than what Don and I have made. Uh, but then after a few years, they arrived at how we had trained them. Um, so you, you do provide a little bit of space. Um, for them. And what I say to my children, like when it comes to issues like, like drinking, for example, that, you know, the Bible does not explicitly prohibit the drinking of any alcoholic beverage, but the Bible speaks voluminously on the topic. And when you come of age where you're making that decision, it needs to be a studied choice. You need to pray about it. You need to seek counsel from other godly people. And God does speak a lot about this subject, and he puts a significant warning label on the bottle, and you'd better study that and make a studied choice. If I know that you prayed about it, sought counsel and all humility before God, and you searched out everything God has said on the subject, 
then I will respect the choice that you come to, uh, even if that may be different than, you know, the, the choice that I've made for myself. Okay. And this is probably our last question, but uh, to the panel, how do you deal with a strong-willed child, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever? Anyone want to take? You guys have never had strong-willed children, right? Right. right. <laughs> We've never had you know, <laughs> our seven children. We have. I was going to say, how did you deal with Maddie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have one of those we have one of those god bless them um n- number one is to rec is to recognize the wiring recognize the giftedness number one early as early as you can i was i picked up on it way too late and um Way too many clashes because um, this son was highly charged, highly intelligent, highly articulate. And so that's number one is to recognize the pattern, recognize the gifts. Number two is pray. Um, Number three is to counsel. Um, And then, as as I said, you know, pray for wisdom. And it's really, I mean, every situation, something sticks out in Kumi's session, um, months ago, and correct me, Coom, it's raising kids that are humble and teachable. Yeah, raising kids that are humble and teachable. That should be um, a consistent theme in your family devotions and your family conversation is to um, raise kids that are humble and teachable because we strong-willed types um, tend to need some help with the humility thing. Um, and so focus on that. Focus on that. Um, I think I know which child you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the things um, to remember is that strong-willed children are usually go- going to be those leaders as adults and um, keep that vision in mind. Um, our strong-willed child, um, we used to tell him, well, he was he was saved in the womb. I mean, God saved him because... He, um, he could have died um, in the womb, and the elders at our church at the time anointed me with oil and prayed over um, him and myself, and he was healed. And we told him that story. We've told him over and over again that story. That there's a reason why God healed you, and he has this amazing purpose for your life, and it is to glorify him. And you have all these gifts and all these skills, and you... You are you have a calling on your life, you know that's different from your brothers. That um, God is going to use you in the most amazing and mighty way. But you have to learn to submit yourself to the Lord um, and listen to that voice and and that calling in your life. And so it was it was just something that I knew from the moment he was born that he was he was called and separate, you know, for a greater purpose. Yeah, I was just thinking, just tagging on, on um, Julie, just, uh, you know, shape it when it comes to the things of the Lord, um, but break it when it comes to the things of the world, the flesh, and, and the devil. 
um, just just you know uh, like Julie said so well I mean a, a strong will for the glory of God for the kingdom of God is a very important thing I mean we need it we need it in our churches we need it in the body of Christ um, we need people of strong faith of people who who believe deeply in the Lord and what he can do and so um as God brings people into, you know, our family that uh, that have those characteristics, uh, shape it, you know, shape it. But when it comes to their own flesh, and y- you have to break it in the right way, in, in, in humility, as Jonathan and Julie have said. And just to add, we have not been perfect in any of this, and just take comfort in knowing that God trumps all of us. He is faithful, and I mean... I didn't. I was not raised in a Christian home, but God trumped all of that and called me to Himself. And despite all the mistakes and all the errors that we have made as parenting, we are watching God at work, and we're watching God trump all of those errors, all those mistakes, and just shaping and forming our sons into the godly men that they are, and that they will continue to grow into. Carlos. Yeah, um, that's that's just real encouraging, really excellent. The thought that keeps hitting me too, and and we all know this, but just to be reminded of the fact of the fact is that um, uh, God wants to use our kids in our lives to shape us too, and mm-hmm. to sanctify us. And God uses our kids to reveal to us our depravity, and and it's very hard to have to see that in yourself, but. Um, but it's necessary even for our own sanctification. So it's not just that God wants to use us to work in their lives. It works both ways. Um, I was really encouraged recently. I was uh, heard a message, um, and it deals with Peter. And we all know Peter, you know, just Mr. Foot-Sized Mouth. And uh, he was always out there trying to prove himself and just, you know, though everyone forsake you, I'm not going to forsake you. And, you know, he just wanted to know and to believe that, you know, he was – uh, Mr. Mr. Faithful, and 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 in his effort to prove himself, you know that the, the scene where he um, he chopped off the Roman's ear, um, he missed. Right, he he meant to chop his block off, but he missed and he hit his ear. And then immediately thereafter, what does Jesus do? He comes alongside, and he he cleans up the mess that Peter made. And that was like really encouraging uh, to me because I know that uh, along the lines of what Julie um, has said is that that I've blown it as a dad um, uh, with with all four of my children. Um, I've sinned against them, and so like I've made a mess. And and it's it's an encouragement and a comfort to know that I have a have a God who, despite my failure, He can follow follow you know behind me and and kind of clean up the messes it doesn't give me an excuse to make more messes <laughs> um, but it is an encouragement to the reality that as parents we do make messes um, and, and again a big part of what God's doing is he's growing us up and he's sanctifying us and so just be encouraged you know that that's you know God God is good that way Great. Thanks, Carlos. We're going to have to stop right here. I just want to thank the panel. Let's thank the panel for being up here with us this morning. And just just want to thank you all for coming to our parenting class. You guys have been an encouragement to us.
And just a little disclaimer, the part that we talked about, the discipline and the answers and the response that were given, we will not have that on a recording because of the sensitive you know, nature of the issue. So um, Pastor Milton, can you please close us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for uh, these moms and dads that are represented in, in, in this room or future moms and, and dads. And uh, we pray, Lord, that your anointing would be on them that they would feel the honor that you have given to them in entrusting to them precious eternal lives that they can shape for eternity. Encourage them in their role. Lord, uh, may they know that there is grace for every failing and that you, Jesus, died for father's sins and mother's sins. And and may that grace um, serve as the wind beneath their wings um, as they seek to be the man and woman of God that you've called them to be. And all of us, Lord, have already blown being examples of perfection to our children, but we now have an opportunity probably to give them an even better gift, and that is to give them the example of a repenting father and mother, a growing father and mother who's being transformed day by day. May may our children see the work of the gospel in our own individual lives. and uh, and know how true and powerful the gospel is because they have witnessed it. They have tasted it in us. Um, so you're a good God, and we thank you for the gifts that you give to us, the callings that you lay upon us, and the honor that goes with that, and the promise of full provision and help from you in achieving what you called us to do. And may may all of us in this room, Lord, feel the good of that and be encouraged in that day by day. We ask uh, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message, which is part of Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church's weekly adult equipping school. Feel free to distribute this message to others, but do not alter its content or charge for copies without permission. For additional messages, sermons, or seminars, please visit us online at www.cornerstonebible.org. Once at the site, click on Resources, then click on Sermons, where you may stream or download messages. Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church exists to glorify God by helping people journey from brokenness to wholeness by experiencing the gospel in all its fullness. More information about Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church can be found on our website at www.cornerstonebible.org. You can also call the church office at 951-781-8174 or visit us at 1190 Columbia Avenue in Riverside, California. Once again, thank you for listening and God bless.